All right, this is the A. I'm Reg Clay. <laughs> this is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. I have two fantastic people, really two really powerhouses of the Bay Area theater community. Um, two great Philippine artists. Jeannie Baroga, you are back. This is like your fifth time. I think you have think been so. here longer than <laughs> than anyone. Longevity will do that. Yeah. You can push that closer so you okay. closer to the mic. Just in, uh, cl- into the mic. Into. There. Yeah. Here. Sorry. That's okay. No, I should have adjusted it more. There we go. Okay. Perfect. Oh. Jeannie Baroga, yeah, you have, uh, I mean, Jeannie, you have, uh, let's see. I got my little script here. Established Philippine playwright whose works have been archived at the Smithsonian Institute, and you have your own Wikipedia page. Uh, you, <laughs> you've written over, I think, 50 plays, and you have uh, published a book to turn right at the Water Buffalo, which uh, I'm hoping to get more sales. You know, you can buy it at Amazon, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and we have our guest, Eli Sonny Orkiza. Eli, how are you doing? Really well. Thank you so much for inviting me here today. Yeah, fantastic. How is everyone's 2024 so far? Adventurous. Adventurous. <laughs> really? Just in the last couple of uh, weeks? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's a lot of... Um, we almost lost our heat the other day, and that was like, no, I don't want that to happen. I've got stuff to do. I've got stuff to do on my computer. Don't turn off my electricity. So, yeah, those are things that kind of make you think, oh, there's another world out there to be aware of. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, Eli, you're doing well. You were telling me that you and your partner, you had a wonderful uh, holiday season. Yeah, and- my partner and I spent the holiday together, and, and we were out of the country. And nice. it was just nice uh unplug from everything and and just hang out yeah no no that is fantastic and uh you know 2024 is doing very good for me um i don't have any theater projects going on but i don't know if you guys know but i work now for the alameda county district attorney's office after 26 years at the san francisco congratulations yeah thank you it is a very long time uh there's been some interesting local um Pamela Price is now the DA of Alameda County, and she's approaching crime a little differently, like alternative programs instead mm-hmm. of just throwing everybody in jail and that sort of stuff. Whereas in San Francisco, they've taken a different approach. That's why Chesa was pushed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of the reasons why a lot of DAs from the San Francisco moved went to Alameda. Mm-hmm. One of them had my resume and said, hey, you know, why don't you come work for us? And it's been nice. <clears throat> Good for more, you. More money, better commute. So that's been the new change for 2024. Awesome. And for you've got rehearsal time sort of plotted in for your <laughs> contract. And right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is uh, very, very cool. So um, I, we, you and I were talking off mic or, you know, this is a re-re-recording. Um, but there's an interesting current events. This is the 2024 election. It's interesting because when we last talked, Eli... Uh, which was episode 139, I believe, and that was in January of 2020. Uh, COVID had not hit just yet, or maybe it did, but you know mm-hmm. we weren't informed of it as, an, as a nation. Um, and it was in the middle of an election mm-hmm. where we were trying to get rid of Donald Trump, and now we're back again in the mix. And we were talking about uh, the 
Haley DeSantis debates and why they're discussing the Civil War again. I thought that we had litigated that mm. <laughs> 120 mm. some odd years ago, but apparently, you know, Republicans are still holding on to that thing. We're holding on just holding on to tradition. You know, some yeah. folks are just holding on to tradition, even if the tradition is bad, mm-hmm. it's horrible, mm-hmm. like the Confederacy and all of that stuff. And you were telling me how, um, you know, there are a lot of just organizations, even theater organizations that hold on to bad tradition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we part, talk about power and fear and all that stuff. Yeah, we were talking about power and fear, and oftentimes <clears throat> for people or organizations that haven't felt any type of discomfort or have held on for on power for so long, mm-hmm. um, it's really discombobulated, um, combobulating for them, and and really. Um, it gives them a sense of uncertainty of like, what is our life going mm-hmm. to be without mm-hmm. these comfortable things that we have? Right. I think they were holding on to that myth way back when, mm-hmm. early 2019. Oh, just wait till we get back to norm, back yeah. to the norm. There's no norm. There was no norm. That but we it's like, what add, is the norm you know? and what is the, you know, the good old things? I've been thinking a lot about nostalgia. Like mm-hmm. I was cleaning out my closet and I was like, why am I holding on to certain things that I could just exactly. really just get, li- exactly. <laughs> get, yeah. get rid of? Mm-hmm. Because we place value on things that probably should not have any value at all. And right. it's sometimes it be an anchor mm-hmm. to, that holds us back from progressing into the future. Yeah. And not and, even having a, a, an alternate game plan. You think that oh, it's going to be over. You know, we just step back into what we had, not thinking that all the things that have been affected um, are going to change every move you make from now on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that was naive and kind, kind of sweet mm-hmm. in a way, but mm-hmm. it was un, unrealistic, you know. Yeah, especially when it details turning your ear off mm-hmm. of people who are saying, hey, we need change because you may feel, you may hold on to this tradition mm-hmm. and this tradition may benefit you, but it's not benefiting me as let's say either a black person or a gay person mm-hmm. or a person who cares about the environment mm-hmm. or a person who is, I don't know, Native American, someone who is not of the, you know, the the club that mm-hmm. you are in. Right. Um, you know, and that's really when you we talk about black two movement or, <clears throat> you know, the issues that are addressed in the living document, mm-hmm. you know, Minorities, you know, putting, you know, getting cast in, you know, theater productions, which don't tell our story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I think that's what the purpose of the job to be done of the living document was. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. When when I created the living document back in 2020, I didn't know how big of an impact it was going mm-hmm. to be at the time. Mm-hmm. And when it started, there was a lot of. Um, vitriol and hate against the living document because it's, it was really airing out a lot of personal experiences of people mm-hmm. and for those of uh, artists, Bay Area artists who were contributing to the living document, um, that was for them the first time that they were able to share their stories mm-hmm. that have, right. that they've held for so long because mm-hmm. of fear of um, not being cast mm-hmm. or being um, pushed against, you know, like push out of the margins or not being able to create Mm -hmm. work or or participating in the community. And when the living document really kind of just collated this Mm -hmm. 600 or so um, testimonials, we had incredible information that we kind of can look at and analyze and and really say to the community, here are the problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just racism, not just discrimination, but also pay equity. And 
and opportunities for people of color to participate in, mm-hmm. in our community yeah. artistically. So there was so many issues that the living document opened up. Um, and now three and a half years later, you know, after the living document, the year or so after, we had such an amazing season of black, indigenous, Asian, Latinx mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. And now I felt like we're sort of going back to, we're regressing a little bit. I'm, I'm you know. You think so? I, I think can so. You, can and you spin on that a little bit? Because that, that was interesting to me. We had this little discussion at the, at the, the festival about, you know, um, being able to... Uh, be dramaturgs and, and in, involved in plays that are not particularly our race, you know? And it's like, it shouldn't have to be because we are that race that we're chosen for that play mm-hmm. or, and things like that. But it the, the question is, is that because of COVID, so now are we at a place where this change looks um, like it's going to keep us busy, you know? Mm-hmm. Is it just going to slide off? Is it going to keep us as busy? COVID thinking like, oh my God, I won't be able to go to the theater. I won't be able to do this. I won't do that. And creativity, which is amazing, has Mm -hmm. kept it, for me, I think, more active than it was maybe for the three years before that. Do you feel that? I think so, too. I think a lot of people... um, said that you know the pandemic was the great pause of theater mm-hmm. but when you think about it retroactively people were doing so, so much digitally yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah a lot of bay area people were able to work in different places mm-hmm. outside of california outside of the bay area mm-hmm. but also it demanded so much more of them of having to set up their own homes to mm-hmm. make it a playing space mm-hmm. providing them um very little to none Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a lot of investments that individual artists are putting into their craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that transition from in-person to virtual world, mm-hmm. it, there was a little bit of um, false equity happening and mm-hmm. that you're able to just engage creatively. And then once we started opening up a lot of those people who were actively employed mm-hmm. virtually are no longer are no longer getting um stage time mm-hmm. oh, so it was it was very very interesting, interesting kind of um thing to yeah. thing to look at yeah. you know what's interesting i do believe that covid-19 was a hard reset for the Bay Area theater community. Yes. But also the living document was sort of a hard reset as well, so that now that we've taken this pause because we can't you know, physically be in the theater is a way to reflect and look at what's going on. And yeah, you know, there are individuals who wrote in the living document. Some, there were some grievances that were not constructive. Mm-hmm. Some were very constructive and some, you know, theaters needed to hear that. Right. No one likes to hear constructive criticism. No right. one likes to hear, hey, you need to change how you do things, even if they need to hear it. Um, and you're right. You know, there's some, like I look at Playground San Francisco, they took the pause. I think they had always been, you know, inclusive. I've heard, I've heard very little bad things about them. I've had one folk, you know, say they had some issues, but, um, but they brought cameras in and they were like, hey, listen, you have a choice audience. You can either come live or we can stream it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have a very good COVID policy. That was another thing that happened out of COVID-19 that also deals with inclusivity and paying more attention to the the, um, the artists. Mm-hmm. 
making sure that everyone's taken care of health-wise. Like I've been a part of uh, two productions last year as a stage manager with their very, very specific COVID policies mm-hmm. to make sure, hey, we want to make sure everyone is tested and vaccinated and, and boosted. And there are some companies who are like, all rehearsals, we're going to have masks on to make sure that everyone feels comfortable. And that's really the job to be done. Do you feel comfortable in this space? It's not just about business as usual. Please don't ask any hard questions because we we have a business we want to do, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why, you know, the living doctor was necessary because people were like, hey, I want to discuss these things. We had April Deutschley on, who's a black woman, is a black woman, and she was in a production and there were issues with her hair. She had issues with her hair. And the production company was like, we don't want to talk about that. Because this is a distraction, you know, come on, this is a train that's rolling, you know, this is about our production and you're an actor, we've hired you, you ought to be thankful for that, Mm -hmm. let's just keep going. And she was like, no, I've got an issue about it. And, well, it was the Alterina Theater and Mm -hmm. Lily Janik wrote about it and I had Lily Janik on and I had April Joyce on to talk about it. But this is a prime example of why we needed something like The Living Document because if theater companies don't want to have whatever the conversation is, I'm an actor, I'm employed, but yet I have issues mm-hmm. and I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will you allow me to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But hadn't really changed because yeah. that's how it had been all along. I mean, I know that's right. of you, actors, you know the history better than both yeah, of us. Yeah, they were... They would come up to me as the playwright and, and say, you know, I kind of wonder about this part here. And it would be like the history mm-hmm. of Filipino culture, which, of course, everybody knows, right? No. <laughs> right. So when you have somebody who, who says, uh, I think this this thing is not exactly correct. And mm-hmm. can we just look at that? And, and it'd be like, okay, you know, and th- this particular uh Production. This was a different production where they said, no, we're not going to change it. We don't have time to do hmm. that type of work. We've been working on the play so long and you just came in at the end. You're just an actor. You're just that role. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, we get, we got to get butts in the seats. You yep. know? And they're not going to know one thing or another mm-hmm. on a Filipino cultural historical level. Like, we, Yeah, but we will. Right. right. And um, so not addressing that is not new. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think one of the beautiful thing about what, you know, came out of the living document is that it really created this sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came out of the pandemic, even though we're still living in a COVID times, we came out of the pandemic with our community, with our artistic community being very socially brave. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and that if there are any issues, mm-hmm. people are not afraid to, air it out and, and discuss it openly. Yeah. And and with that with that being able to discuss it openly, people mm-hmm. are able to connect and be of support and provide a hand for for whoever that person who's you know, who has grievance to whatever that yeah. may be. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Jeannie, because I think you know the history. You've been working with theater for so for so long. It's an irony. You would think that for an organization to not have open discussions you would expect that in the theater community. I mean, I expect a law office or let's say a corporate office would be like, hey, we've got a product we got to produce and you're the worker and why are you bothering us with all this? Whatever the this is, you know. Um, but you figure theater is all about, hey, let's connect. Mm-hmm. And let's have these exercises so that we can connect with our character and let's, you know, make sure that the emotions just flow. Mm-hmm. And isn't it a great, I look at it as a great irony that 
a theater, a theater, whatever the theater organization is that's supposed to put these wonderful stories on stage would be the same place where they don't want to hear mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. you know, the actor or, you know. Well, I think the thing that happened when they saw more and more uh, visibility of ethnic groups, mm. you know, theaters have their their niches, you know, yeah. the technical, you know, the props, the costumes, everything like that. And, and even in their discussions afterwards with uh, technical production meetings and stuff like that, it's like, okay, you, 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 you. And then that element that no one was really looking at or saw a need for was the the cultural consultant, which I think I see a lot of now. There you go, yeah. You know, and it was like not not something to address because where are we going to put that? You know, how can we afford that? What is it? What do they do? You know, right. how often do we have to have them aboard? Are they going to change the play? Right. You know, <laughs> so there's, there's that... Um, that distinction, I think, that has crept more and more into the arena of it. Mm-hmm. So it it's it is at least uh, addressed, mm-hmm. but it wasn't back then because it just took up too much time to treat an ethnic play differently than a normal play. Sure, and I'm yeah. sure actors were too afraid. Like, wow, if I bring this up, people are going to get really pissed off, or well, I'm okay, hold things up. Even and- something like PR, yeah, okay, or community outreach, yeah, they they they'd be like, well, you do it. I was like, excuse me, I wrote the play, you know, you got people that you pay right. to do this, you know. And, uh, well, we don't know who to who to go to. I said, well, then you should start. Right. You know, so it was introducing um, aspects of playmaking that wasn't addressed before because mm-hmm. they just didn't have to listen to them. They didn't have sure. to cast them. Sure. They didn't have to serve their stories. Yeah. And um, it... it it, it doesn't seem like it was something really, really on purpose. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we just haven't done it before and we don't know how to do it. We don't have time to do it. We don't have money to do it. Sure. So now with this, I guess, pause, you know, it's like they see what's happened, what people have accomplished on their own, mm-hmm. you know, and addressed the, the community cultural aspect of it and yeah. had time to sit for half an hour in a rehearsal and say, let's just talk about this. Sure. You know? And Leah, you brought up bravery or, on the other hand, fear. Their fears of um, theater owners or artistic directors losing their power. But there's also the fear of the actor. Mm-hmm. I'm a minority actor and I'm the only one in the room who is a minority. Do I raise my hand now or do I wait till after rehearsal? Should I send an email? The, the the bravery of raising your hand and saying, hey, I think we need to address this. Mm-hmm. You know, Norman and I have talked about it where let's say he's an actor, he's a black actor in a production. He mentioned a production of um, uh, Willie Loman, Death of a Salesman, mm-hmm. and he's a black neighbor. And he was like, wow, so there's a black neighbor in 1950s. Uh, this is not traditional. Um, can we talk about, you know, just what my role is in here? And luckily he was able to have that discussion, whereas, you know, the traditional director would be like, listen, we just cast you. Just, But I guess the question I have for you is, do you notice, have you talked with other actor friends or even your experience? Have you ever been afraid of raising your hand and saying, hey, I feel weird. Can we talk about this? Yeah, for me personally, I'm I'm always you know, advocating for myself and mm-hmm. others. Yeah. And if I feel slighted or I feel that like in a, I'm in a position where I'm compromising myself, I yeah. would vocally and actively speak up. Yeah. And I feel like that, that's something so innate for me, but for others, 
um, it's really a scary thing, especially when you are part of a community that it's very, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you become this person that, you know, is known as someone Rocks who... Rocks the boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and if you're coined as this person who complains, mm-hmm. that, the grapevine... Oh, is oh very, yeah. Very I guess you can worry about being blacklisted. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it oftentimes for people, it's it's that kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't want to speak up because I don't want to compromise mm-hmm. opportunities that may open for me for the future mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of p- power dynamics that's happening in a rehearsal room. Yeah, right. You have. A, a director, you have an actor, and that already is mm-hmm. a, a very skewed power dynamic. And oftentimes, you're dealing with um, administrators and artistic directors who sure. hold your paycheck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, oftentimes, being able to just say and, and knock at their doors is already this like tension-inducing mm-hmm. yeah. feeling, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why a cultural consultant is very, very. Um, that Jeannie mentioned is very necessary yeah. and so essential to every process and every step of the way because it gives you that confidence. It mm-hmm. gives you that outlet to really just share mm-hmm. um, that is not direct to, directly mm-hmm. um, being addressed to the company, but you have an outlet and an ally in the mm-hmm. room. Yeah, And that um, type of news gets around very quickly too. Yeah, You know, absolutely. where you think like, Oh, hey, that theater does that. Really? They exactly. Work, it's a marketing know? tool. You and say, hey, I want to work for, let's say... Um, it, it's the, <clears throat> yeah, it's mm-hmm. the ace card that they they should be aware of. That this is going to make you look mm-hmm. like you're, you are you know what's going on. Sure. You know? you know, when Shotgun Players, you know, does a play and there's Philippine actors there, it's like, hey, okay, they're, they're doing something. Mm-hmm. Or The Marsh, you know, The Marsh. Uh, Fred Pitts is doing Aren't You? This is a one-person, one-man show. And this is like his third time doing it. And it tells me, hey, this is a black man who has a very, you know, interesting story. And they're paying attention and they're giving him the stage. They also gave Jennifer Mealy a stage who had a play, a one-woman show on motherhood. And, you know, the ups and downs of it. So that, that sends a signal. Um, when Playground San Francisco, you know, when you, you know, actors know this. It's not just the actor auditioning for a role; they're auditioning, but the theaters auditioning themselves as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, have you? Let's talk about the Chicahan Company. Uh, yeah. So, you that was something that didn't happen in 2020, and then you created that. So, uh, I think Chicahan's in its third year now. We're going into our fourth year yeah. this year. Hard yeah. Hard. So, Alan, Crystal, and I have mm-hmm. been having this discussion amongst ourselves about what could we do as theater artists to really continue to elevate our community. And Chicahan Company is, you know, our our little brainchild. Mm-hmm. And because we were so isolated um, in 2020, we were able to really put our time and efforts mm-hmm. and our heads together to really create and flesh out what this means. Yeah. So Chicken Company really started in a very, very strong way that we, in the middle of the pandemic, mm-hmm. we produced our full scale um, commission show. Yeah. Um, the act of care and then yeah. you know, I think it was co-written by Lauren Garcia and uh, um, Conrad, Conrad Paganaban yeah. yeah 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 so we commissioned them both and they were able to create this really really fascinating mythical 
um, and medical mm-hmm. uh, story mm-hmm. that was well well produced, mm-hmm. um, and we were trying something new at the time. That this is a, a new company, mm-hmm. and we were all non unions, mm-hmm. but. At the time, we were playing around with this idea of pay equity, and that everyone, regardless of what role you play in this production, mm-hmm. you're going to get paid um, a minimum wage per hour. Excellent. And no one was doing that at the time, mm-hmm. and and we were thinking we can do this. Um, and it presented so many challenges, mm-hmm. um, but you know we came out of it really just learning so much about the process and mm-hmm. ever since then we're we're continuing to um commission and develop new works um our latest season we just presented um stage reading of three new plays mm-hmm. and for our fourth year we're gonna do a world premiere of a play that we've um staged um uh so I'm, I'm super, super excited about the No, it's fantastic. I, I remember talking with Alan Casborio. This was back in 2011 when mm-hmm. he was directing me and we were doing Stories High. I'm looking at the poster right now. But Alan, when he was part of Bindlestiff, had said, hey, listen, <clears throat> I really want folks to come out of Bindlestiff, which is both a theater, co- it's a theater company, but it's also a community group to help, you know, young budding actors and playwrights and directors to sort of get their feet wet mm-hmm. to learn about the basics of theater um, and also provide theater for the Philippine community. Yeah. Uh, and Bimstuff does a wonderful job. But Alan had a dream of doing something far more professional to pay actors professionally, to produce professional quality, you know, theater. I mean, not to say that, you know, that there people have different thoughts of, you know, what professional theater is and all that stuff. But, you know, something of high quality. And it sounds like Chickahan is sort of the brainchild of that. And I'm so glad, you know, I, I think that Crystal is equity now, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. I remember her talking about that just as she was coming from non-equity to equity. And also talking with Lauren Garcia and her being so excited about a company that would take her strange and weird ideas. <laughs> these are her words. <laughs> And actually finding a stage for it. Um, so I think Chicon is just fantastic. Oh, thank you. Uh, Business-wise, how did you guys get the money? I mean, is there someone who does the grant writing or like, um, because, you know, someone's like, hey, how can I do the same thing? So Yeah, great question. So because we are such a budding company, this is our um, first year being eligible to bigger grants. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the past three years that we've been working together, we've just been applying for local grants mm-hmm. um, and relying on uh, funders and, mm-hmm. and family and friends who may want to donate. And we are under the fiscal sponsorship of Playground, so yeah. uh-huh. we we have a really oh right right really, yeah yeah really great support in that in that sense. But yeah, I'm the ghostwriter for our company to write grants, and mm-hmm. we've been really lucky. Um, to I think we are one of the first, if not a couple of companies who've received um, TBAs, yeah, that's right, cash grants mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in three consecutive years, which is mm-hmm. which is great. No, no, that is fantastic because a lot of people think of theater as just the artistic part of it, but there's the business part of it yes. as well, Definitely. and you have to cover that, and that makes sure that people get paid, and you know that. It you know the company just keeps on going on. Have you submitted anything to Chickahan or? Um, I think I had a long talk with Alan. You know, <laughs> okay. I said, yeah, let's get together, let's get together, and then 
things just happened yeah. and stuff like that. I guess so. the answer is not yet. Yeah, not yet. But I am going to pursue you guys now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Come on in. Because <laughs> I had heard, didn't you guys produce, it was a musical based on, I think, James Itlong. Maybe I'm getting the name wrong. Um, oh, Larry Leo. Larry yes. So, no, oh, this is a different yeah. company. I think Brava is commissioning this You know piece. what? Oh, yeah. I'm getting that confused with Brava. Yeah, and yeah. Melvin um, Badiola is, mm-hmm. is involved in that. Mm-hmm. But it's fantastic. I mean, these are the branches. I mean, I've seen, I've worked with all of you guys. I don't know if you ever worked with Bindlestiff. I, we, you and I worked with the Playwright Center for San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We were on stage. But you've worked with Bindlestiff before, I have, have you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the branches of Bindlestiff, you know, I see all these ex-Bindlestiffers oh, yeah. just, you know, doing great and, and wonderful and beautiful things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Um, also, you're a teacher. So you're teaching. Uh, you have at least two workshops that are going on. One is uh, at Magic Theater and the other one is with uh, Ballet Creative. Yeah. So um, I'm the director of education and community at Magic Theater mm-hmm. and it's it's a very, very, very unique and special programming in that unlike other theater companies that partner with the school district, mm-hmm. we partner with nonprofits that serve um, deeply and historically marginalized um, population in San yeah. Francisco. So yeah. we work with long-term survivors um, of HIV and AIDS. Oh, we wow. work with children of refugee and asylum-seeking yeah. family um, communities and black residents in in the Bayview. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're continuing to expand to um, serve um, students who are uh, black and brown that focuses primarily on STEM, yeah, um, on the sciences, and, and providing them arts enrichment opportunities mm-hmm. so that they can engage that. Um, yeah. that side of their creativity and skills. Yeah, no, I loved using theater to teach and educate. Um, oh, yeah, things. definitely. And it, and it, yeah. it's, it's fascinating, you know, because we have, um, you know, you teaching and, and doing that and then reaching out to the, into the, the communities that really, really need it. Mm-hmm. It, occurs, it occurs to me that you are not just a actor or a creative, but a sort of an activist. I mean, you really want to enrich other people's lives. Um, what is that aspect of you? For those who don't know, you were uh, born in uh, the Manila in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I think you came here in 2010. Is that right? I I came yeah around around 20. I'm, I'm remembering the when I was 10 years old. 139. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but what is? Can you talk more about the activist side of you? What is it about you that really just cares for others in a way that others don't? Because a lot of folks are like, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this theater thing because I want to, you know, get into movies and you know have more of a spotlight on myself." But you you want to help others? Yeah, I, I think you know, as Filipinos, creativity is so innate to us, mm-hmm. and it's part of our culture and it's part of our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And when when I you know, immigrated in, in the U.S., I immediately was sent into public schools. And in San Francisco at the time when I was in middle school, there was no funding or there was no arts opportunities to engage in. It was just very much of, you're going to do this um, very direct science path um, right. because that's something that would elevate your your um application for for college yeah. it was other people centered. making decisions for you right and and for me i it's just something that i you know feel passionate about using art as a way to to tell your story mm-hmm. um and and because there was a lack of representation a lack of visibility mm-hmm. um 
for for me, I, I've never seen myself re- reflected on stage when I was seeing performances mm. when I was young. Yeah. Um, so th- there was that direct kind of relationship and, and really for me a need to tell a story and in using art um, and, and, and using art as a really a vehicle to, mm-hmm. to, to push for or to amplify or, or champion things that really for me is very, very yeah. important. No, no, it's wonderful. Jeannie, you sort of do the same thing because when I look at Buffalo and when I look at some of your other plays, you're really using theater or your writings as a sort of history lesson. People can learn history from reading dry up, you know, books that you have to blow the the dust off Mm -hmm. or they can actually see it on stage. Well, it's very um, important for me to make that layer of uh, activism, we'll Mm -hmm. call it, you know, through the storytelling that I do. It's like it it accomplishes all the things that I want to um, emanate in my in my in my place. It's got to be historical. Yeah. You know, I just I'm going to fit that in there whenever I can. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the uh, the community aspect of it, showing that you know this is how we operate. Yeah, you know? and and also the visibility on stage too of all different diverse types. It's like this, this is my world. My right. world includes all these. Yeah, um, but the <coughs> excuse me mm-hmm. the the issue of the of the period that i'm in at the time mm-hmm. boom i just you know I, I i write about it i research it yeah you know um i talk to a lot of people it's just like i want to show that world as fully as i can and also make the point that there's something to be done about that there's something you can do about it mm-hmm. there's something you could act at least know about because so many people come up to me, say, I never knew this. I, you know, I don't really know the Filipino yeah. Yeah. community, and and I can understand that. But it's like, well, you've got to have that curiosity within you anyway mm-hmm. to pursue it in in whatever that race is. But as far as um, being an activist, I think my plays are the most active in promoting the history, mm-hmm. you know, having a basis of comparison of what, how you got here now, how you got here now. Yeah. Because that was a question I always had when I was growing up. Like, yeah. I had no idea why I looked so different. And how did I get here? Right. You I know? mean, I think of Buffalo and, you know, Buffalo isn't just about, you know, black soldiers, you know, fighting, you know, in the Philippines and sort of uh, almost an analogy of Vietnam. It's like, why am I here and why am I fighting these folks in my government is telling me they're the enemy, but really, are they really the enemy? I kind of like it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also because that was that was my very um, uh, concentrated way of making sure. Okay, there is something else that was going on before World War One and exactly. after the Civil War. There's something else going on that you go don't mm-hmm. know very much about. Exactly. And, um, uh, knowing that Americans were in the Philippines in that way, in mm-hmm. that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, that paved the path for what the whole 20th century turned out to be sure. and our our visibility or our appearances on American mm-hmm. um, uh, atmospheres and stage. It's like there's a reason we came here mm-hmm. and that, that, that avenue was because of war. Exactly. Spell I'll, it out. It was war. I can still see yeah. there's a, um, a really horrible Puck. Uh, Puck magazine was a magazine that happened in the turn of the century. And you probably know what I'm going to. Mm-hmm. William McKinley, had, there's a cartoon of William McKinley wiping 
a really disgusting looking caricature of a Philippine person as if mm-hmm. we're going to purify mm-hmm. this Filipino. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, the image of imperialism. You know, these yeah. wonderful white, you know, um, saviors are going to rescue these indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And we need a play like Buffalo to say, hey, listen, these are about real people. Mm-hmm. And this is what our history is, even if it's ugly. Yeah. And walls. It I helps could... It helps to love history. Too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> right. it can be pretty dry. And I think that was one of the reasons that whenever I came across a story, I went, oh, this is a story that'd be great to tell, period. Mm -hmm. And then I got into theater. I said, well, why don't I get to learn theater? Because then I could get the story out. You know, I can see activity. I can be an actor. Mm -hmm. Very short time when I was an actor. But it was like, okay, I can at least write it. And these would be the words that would be um, uh, something that's going to have some uh, credence and longevity. Mm -hmm. Because it's on paper. Yep. You know, yep. Not, yep. not really knowing how long that would be. Mm-hmm. And now it's been, what, over 40 years? So <laughs> Yeah, and you're still doing it. And, you yeah. know, you have your collection of works at the Stanford Library, you know, to show just how, how uh, you know, just the prestige that you, that you have. And even the play Walls, you know, that that's also a thing of history and talking about, you know, the creation of the Vietnam Memorial Wall. So... Also speaking of education, something that happened, uh, there was a Washington Post article. No, it was an Atlantic article that came this week suggesting, and it was, I think, because of the aftermath of COVID-19, it pauses the question, should should uh, schools or actually physically going to school be obsolete? Should mm. children just, you know, learn remotely? Would it be better for, and the, uh, the article talked more about truancy. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because you're an educator, you know, you actually educate people. And I remember talking to Aureen Almario, mm-hmm. um, and I think, because she's also an educator as well, and she talked about how hard it was teaching theater <laughs> via... <laughs> via the monitor and via Zoom because theater is such a physical thing. You have right. to actually look at someone and, and you know, sometimes touch them and especially when you have exercises. But the whole concept, now I was talking with a friend, actually one of the lawyers that I'm a, 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 um, a paralegal for, he is in the... Um, he's on the Board of Education and, he, and we had talked about this article and he was like, this is a horrible idea. Children need interaction. People need interaction. Yes, it's convenient to not have to travel to a school and deal with people that you may not like because they're not of your culture or whatever. That's why a lot of folks do homeschooling, which I'm not, I don't agree with at all. But what do you think of just the concept of of that? I think my impulse is that it's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we see it, don't we now? We see what happened when we took kids out of school because of COVID. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of mental issues going on. And, you know, know, like when we started going back into schools, um, providing workshops, theater Mm -hmm. workshops, um, right out out, out of the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. a lot of the children weren't able to socialize and communicate Mm. effectively. That's interesting. And they also had trouble with um, proximity issues. Mm. Um, Oftentimes kids weren't able to you know, keep their bodies to themselves. Mm. And and there was just this Oh, they they have the need to touch. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating. And and, and also just not having the, the awareness of, you know, or even just like the ability to to socialize, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Um, that was that was really difficult to 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 see. Yeah, but I think now that we're two years, you know, out of being from being inside the virtual world, sure, 
um, a lot of the kids are slowly coming back yeah. into. So those um, are really formative things. years. Yeah. That's the thing about it. It's yeah. Just, you know, it's interesting, Jeannie. I, um, so we had Patricia Milton, and she wrote a play called um, Engine of Our Disruption. And Norman is working on a play called Big Data. Mm-hmm. And we've talked yeah. about that at ACT. There are playwrights that are talking about AI and the effects of AI. And, you know, as you were talking about children's need to touch and to have a human connection, there are folks who are going on the opposite end. It's like, well, maybe I can have an AI as a friend. Or maybe I can, you know, have AI interact. I mean, I remember the Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her. Her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. But do you think, I mean, people are worried about chat GPT and AI. People are worried, oh, my God, I'm a playwright. Well, what if an AI can write a play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you well, worry about that? <laughs> have you seen any of the writing? Or I mean, I have some issues when I see actual real people writing badly when you see a machine writing badly. Yeah. Like, how do you, you you know how do you take, how do you give notes to an AI? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know they, they say feed algorithms, algorithms, algorithms. Or even you know people are, the AIs are taking algorithms without permission from folks online. But uh, just I guess, Jeannie, the question I have is, I mean, do you think that we, as human beings or the younger generation, are we? Is there a danger to drifting towards AIs if it's going to be a solution? Are we dehumanizing ourselves? I think there's there's a danger you know gravitating anything new mm-hmm. you know and shiny different and mechanical yeah you know but i Toys. think i i think the ones who have a sense of how it should really ha- happen between mm-hmm. people they're going to be bored in a short amount of time mm-hmm. they'll realize well this doesn't do everything that I think it does and say, so, well I only need are three things guess which ones you know right and well, okay, is that the majority of people? You know, is that the people that I know, you know, that I would have a conversation with? What is it that you're really attracted to that you would rather have an AI relationship than a real human relationship? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if there could be a cohesive discussion about it because they don't, they're not in it yet. Right. You know? Yeah. But when they are, it'll be like, oh, you know? Yeah. But I also think it makes a statement about ourselves. Are we so detached from being able to communicate? Let's say I'm having a hard time communicating with you, Eli. I can either say, let me work a little harder. Let me listen to what he has to say and learn how, you know, where he's coming from in his culture and and his, you know, his the experiences that you've had. Or I could take the cheap route out and say, well, forget it. I'm just not going to talk to him. Yeah, I I think AI has good and bad things to offer. you know, for for a lot of people who have been using AI, um, I think it provides them the efficiency mm-hmm. um, and and the convenience of having to look for information. Mm-hmm. But I think what people forget to to notice is that AI is only giving everybody the average information yeah, that like exists this, this yeah. out there. It's not going to go out. Yeah, right. It's not going to go deeper. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know? And and also the problem of inequity. Um, mm. And that a lot of these information are centered towards, you know, white supremacy or, you know, narrative that are coming from the white perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. And oftentimes that doesn't include the global majority. Mm-hmm. So it's skewed from, from that, yeah. you know. Yeah, a lot of these companies are owned by white guys. They right. may not be overtly racist, but they're just thinking it from their perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. therefore the machine will think of it from their perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I totally understand. Um, getting back to you, 
where do you see your career? You're doing all sorts of, you know, really cool things. Do you want to, do you, do you see yourself um, as more of an actor or do you see yourself more as a behind the scenes creative person to create things? Yeah, um, I think the the last time that we spoke, I was primarily, you know, coming out of my acting, mm-hmm. you know, like slowly coming out of the acting route and that's something that that I yeah. left way behind. You've had a big upgrade since. Uh, I mean, when when we talked in July 2020, you know, I only knew you as oh, you were an actor, and we acted together at the Playwright Center for San Francisco. Some you know, some playwright, and they just needed to grab some actors, and you were one of them. <laughs> but now, you know, you've created companies. You know, you've gone to the Kennedy Center. You've you know the Living Document, and now you're hosting workshops, and you you know you you're teaching. You're doing all sorts of really really cool things. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I think in general, I, I for for my career, I just want to continue focusing on you know like being behind mm-hmm. the scenes um, and and really helping other artists. Um, yeah, you know, find their way and, and find their voice into the fold of things because mm-hmm. it's I, I came into the theater with very little to no experience and mentors mm-hmm. um, behind me. So I was really trying to carve a path for myself, Yeah, you know, which is why I'm doing so many things that I'm having to juggle. And I feel like as an artist, you have to mm-hmm. do a little bit of that. But I really found that the comfort and confidence in, in directing and, and dramaturgy. Yeah. And I so, think, you, so you're not going to miss being on stage? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. No, actually, that's the same thing that happened to yeah. me, you know, because I figured if I wrote the plays, it be, you know, and they, they, they won't have to say like, oh, I can't find an actor. Well, I wrote it and I could do it. <laughs> you know? right. And then realizing I would rather write, mm-hmm. you know, and then I would rather even pad my... Uh, very lean but base knowledge okay i'm i'm going to i'm going to work a booth can i work the booth you know mm-hmm. you know can i uh, be in costumes i'd like to sew a costume you know mm-hmm. it was just like i wanted to know every aspect of that and it turned out because same thing i was writing grants you know after a while and trying to get the playwright form going mm-hmm. uh getting uh you know a list of actors to serve the the playwrights that i was bringing into the playwright form so you get to be like this general manager that becomes the the e executive director you don't know it but mm-hmm. it, it's like People just gravitate I, towards you. It was, yeah, because it, it just gave me more sense of what full theater was. Mm-hmm. It made me a better playwright, I'd have to say, because I knew all those aspects of it. Yeah. At least I felt it was helping me look at the fuller picture. Yeah. Um, and then I, I when people say, would you like to act? And I did act mm-hmm. for um, uh, the Berkeley for for Gary mm-hmm. and I felt like I'm thinking this play she worked the play with me uh-huh. I was her dramaturg uh-huh. and she said I like the way you read could you could you uh, audition as well and I, went, and I really thought oh I shouldn't do it I shouldn't do it but they they cast me uh-huh. and then I, I just figured I just my body felt like I wanted to just be in the audience oh interesting you know it was how, like, how I long ago was this see, by the way hmm? how long ago was this when was that? Um, maybe six, seven years ago. Okay. You know. Yeah. And it, it it was interesting that I chose that. Yeah. And I even toured my one one woman play. Uh-huh. I went up and down the coast. Um, and it was received. It was received okay. But all I could think about is that I want to be out in the audience so I can fix this and rewrite that and yeah. And 
I could tell it's just not in my, you know, makeup to want to be on stage. I I just want to. Yeah. I like the working atmosphere behind. It the is scenes. interesting because yeah. you know, like I've I you know I act, but you know, in writing plays and seeing your work. I get to sort of, you know, just not only critique, you know, the actors or the production, but critique myself. Mm -hmm. And I can't really do that if I'm actually on because I need someone to, you know, I can't, I can't really view it and make a judgment on it. Like, what tweaks do I need to make unless I'm not Mm -hmm. in it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you're going to stay with it. Huh? Right. And you're going to stay with it because I think it became less needy for mm-hmm. me to get notes as an actor because well I'm not going to be in this that long <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> you know I, I gotta get fixed to play I gotta fix to play yeah. <laughs> how did the two so, of you meet well that was a panel with yeah. TBA was it was it TBA? TBA we did a panel together um when was that Jeannie? oh god I think that was 21? about three yeah three 20, years ago yeah. something like that okay yeah three years ago yeah and you so just disconnected since then? Event. Yeah, we've always, like, well, I know I've been aware of you, so, you mm-hmm. know. You know um, and then when we were put together at the, the uh, festival, or the, the retreat, mm-hmm. you know, and and that was it. I really did want to talk to you a lot more about, you know, your own process, you oh. know, for uh, that particular play, you know, because it's, it, it, all of them were really good. The five plays that oh, were chosen. Goodness. Yeah. Oh, my God, <laughs> you know. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. You know, they were they were really bold, very brave, and they're willing to do more work on it. And mm-hmm. no, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think yeah. I've known of Jeannie when long time ago, back in college, because of oh. your plays. Oh, but see, never I, really. <laughs> oh wow! But, Wikipedia, did you? <laughs> <laughs> but never really got to interact until. Um, you know that moment that we were both in the panel together yeah. about um, mm-hmm. writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we did say we we're going to get together, but we're both so busy. <laughs> yeah. Just... Well, you guys did the retreat. You know that uh, the uh, retreat earlier, not this year, but last year. Was it last year? No, it was just a end of a beginning of December. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, I guess the last question. So, where do you see? Well, two questions. Um, where do you see yourself in the future? Because you're working for a couple of companies. There's the Chickahan, there's uh, the Magic. Mm-hmm. Is there other companies that you're working with? Yeah, I, I, I've been a faculty at ACT for, okay. for oh my goodness, nearly seven years now. Mm-hmm. So I think those are my mainstays Yeah. Um, currently as an artist. And then mm-hmm. I just freelance all over. Gotcha. And you think you'll just stay on that track for the next, I don't know, five, six years? I think so. so. Okay. Are you thinking of leaving the Bay Area or is this this your home? Um, Bay Area is definitely my home. Like, I feel rooted in Mm -hmm. the Bay Area, but, you know, there are projects that take me out of the Bay Area, but I don't think that those are going to be permanent. Like, the community and the artists and the art making out here is so rich Mm -hmm. and it's really, really gratifying to be able to be part of that conversation and dialogue Mm -hmm. i think we are the only region that really look at art in a different way yeah as opposed to other places where you're just doing art for art's sake but Mm -hmm. here it has really really uh profound intention of of why we're making art yeah yeah i totally agree and i guess the last question is it sounds like you think that the Bay Area, I know you said that we're maybe regressing, you know, like the living document has changed a lot of theater companies, but there's some, still some theater companies that are either regressing back or they're not interested in changing. But overall, 
Are you um, satisfied or do you think that Bay Area Theater still is a place for, I don't know, people of color or we're still telling diverse stories and we're still seeing diverse people on stage? Are things getting better in the Bay Area Theater community? I I definitely think so. I think we are definitely getting better in terms of promoting and Mm -hmm. and really amplifying diverse stories. But the Bay Area could definitely do so much more. Sure, sure. Do you agree, Jeannie? I don't know. I, I how often do you see the plays these days? These days? <laughs> um, I would say it's been maybe six to eight a year. And when you come from a oh, literary you management yeah. you know, background, when mm-hmm. I was going to like five or six a week, mm-hmm. you know, and reading a lot, this, I just feel like I have this uh, luxury of time <laughs> yeah. and decision making to, to see the stuff I really, really you know, want to see, which is most of the stuff. And then I'm called away to some other job. Sure. But going back to your question is that, um, I think for whatever reason, the, the influx of more available actors and technicians, people who have gone the route, they've gone to schools, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're just a, a lot more uh, um, accessible here. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see, you see New York, you see Chicago. That's what, that's what I compared a lot was uh, what was going on in New York and Chicago and Seattle and uh, San Diego area, um, particularly for plays of color, mm-hmm. you know, and particularly for Filipinos. You know? Yeah. Because it's like, how, how can we have so many Filipinos in this country and they're so talented and they can do so many things and they're not being utilized. Exactly. You know? And so this period where all of a sudden we see this growth mm-hmm. is amazing and it seems to be this area that's more um, amenable to that. So, so that word, same thing, the word gets out. It's like, oh, the Bay Area, this mm-hmm. is where you can do stuff. Yep. And um, when you don't see that happening, because the demographics are, they're just not around, mm-hmm. you know, so let's say, let's name Texas. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it would be hard to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick up and move my move roots and, and go live in, in Texas. And where am I going to, what's going to nourish me? Right, what's exactly. What's going to nourish me? Yeah. You know? I think about that. I mean, I'm getting close to retirement age, um, I think in 2027. And I've had friends of mine say, oh, you know, it's cheaper in Texas or it's cheaper in here, there. And I'm like, wow. But, you know, how am I going to thrive, you know, mm-hmm. theater wise? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, you know, so we have a very special thing here and I think mm-hmm. it takes work to keep it special and you're doing the work, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, so that's fantastic. And I have to say, really, I have been following you. Every time I saw Eli's name, I said, what's he doing now? My God, does this I guy know. ever sleep? I'll, you know I see your name pop up all the time and it's, it's always for a good but thing. It's, but it's always with pride because when I see, I mean, I hate to keep, you know, haranguing about this because I know I'm just an OG, you know? But having the basis of seeing the fuller picture of how uh, theater has grown in the Bay Area, particularly for diversity and 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 um, uh, more of the look, again, of my world mm-hmm. on stage, mm-hmm. it just fills me with such deep pride that, you know, please, please, you know, more, more, teach yeah. more, <laughs> you know, let's get this going, let's you know, keep p- passing on the, 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 the baton. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you're definitely doing that. So that's why one of the reasons I wanted to have you back on again. I'm so glad that you did. And I want to be respectful of your time. You got to get out of here. So (laughs) I'm going to talk about some shows and also some of the things that you're doing, Eli. So Making Magic Masterclass, that's at the Magic Theater. Only one day, Saturday, January 27th from 10 to 1 p.m. Margot Hall and you will be teachers. I think there are two other people. I bring up Margot because she was also on the Yay episode 166. And we have a link, so check that out. And then the very next day, you're doing Representation Matters, a theater arts boot camp at Ballet Creative. That'll be Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. And we have a link for that as well. And then <laughs> you're in rehearsals for the Laramie Project and Stagebridge. And Stagebridge, for those who don't know, those are elderly people who are involved in theater. And I think that's just a wonderful project. And, of course, this is the Matthew Shepard story, yeah. uh, which is always an important story to tell. January the 19th through the 21st, only three days. Uh, wow. Four shows? Five shows? Three shows. Three shows, yeah. yeah. And you're directing that. We have a link for that as well. Uh, Monday Night Playground, uh, the Shakespeare Multiverse. That's their topic of Monday uh, night, and that'll be this Monday coming, January the 15th. Kimberly Ridgway, who is in nearly everything, (laughs) she's written a piece as well as Christian Wilburn. They've both been on the A, and we have a link for that. Uh, I talked about Fred Pitts, his um, wonderful one-person show, Aren't You?, is uh, playing again again at the March by popular demand, February the 10th through March the 2nd. Uh, Cutting Ball Theater is doing Mixed Metaphors. That's uh, February the 2nd through the 18th. Radhika Rao is in that show. She talked about how it's one of those types of theaters where there's action on the stage, and then they stop the action, and then they ask the audience, so what do you think about this, what do you think about that? It's sort of interactive, and some audience members may like it, some may not. We'll see. Um... Kimberly Ridgway is also directing Misery uh, at Palo Alto Players. That's that Stephen King novel slash movie, uh, which will be a play uh, January the 19th through February the 4th. Um, And then there are a couple of podcasts. Oh, before I get into that, there's another sponsor. I'm so happy to have um, Charles Blades Barbershop for sponsoring the A. Charles Blades is located at 182nd Street in downtown Oakland. It's a very cool, relaxing barbershop where you can get your cuts, and they'll even serve you a complimentary drink. They They also sell hair gels, pomade, shampoos, and conditioners. Hop online, give the products a try, and support minority businesses like my man Charles Blades, and they're supporting Bay Area Theater. Thank you for supporting the A. There are also some podcasts. Um, Barry Graves has the uh, Black Man's Heart, so check that out. Mallory Samara, her day job is KCBS Radio, and she is uh, part of the production team for two podcasts. As Prescribed is a weekly conversation with leading members, medical experts at UCSF Medical Center, and Bay Current is a weekly news podcast hosted by Mallory. Uh, and she's still working with you, isn't she, Jeannie? Uh, we've sort of, the whole year, we had so many different things going on with each other. So yeah, I'm yeah. going to give him a call mm-hmm. and say, hey, how about that book? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, she's been fantastic. Uh uh, working with you. Central Work Script Club, they have a podcast where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio mm. interview with a playwright, delivered semi annually. Aaron Hinney is an artistic director of Theater Dibbick, that is a Jewish uh, based uh, theater in LA, and they have a podcast, The Dibbickast, uh, where they talk about wow. their plays and through a com- combination of performed readings and interviews with the artists and scholars. The Dibbickast brings these creative and their historical contexts to life 
all while revealing their relationships to issues still present today. Deborah Cortez, she's been on the podcast two times. She has a podcast called Let's Talk About Grief. And she was very open oh. about her, the loss of her son. She lost her son tragically. And she's talked about her grief and she brings on guests and they talk about their grief and they sort of <clears throat> talk about um, and, and, and engage with the audience with uh, with dealing with that. And I think it's very, very positive. So check that out. Also, Bindlestiff Studio has the Fobcast Exploring Philippine-American Immigrant Stories. Check out the Fobcast on any podcast app. And we have Yay Jerseys. Uh, we have the black, the white, and these pinstripes. Jeannie, you were, you were sporting the Yay jersey <laughs> earlier this week. I was so happy to see that picture. Um, so it's only $30. So PM me, DM me, whatever the kids say, and I will hook you up. That is it, Eli. Did you have a good time? I did. Yeah, yeah this has been such an enriching conversation. So it yeah. really is, yeah. and I'm, I'm so thankful with your busy schedule to uh, to come back on. So that's fantastic. Um, you're probably listening to this on the uh, that Purple Podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. We're also on Spotify, Overcast, SoundCloud, and we're on Amazon Podcast. Just go on at music.amazon.com and you'll search for The A and you'll find us. Wow. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook. Um, I'm also uh, I'm also at on Instagram, Reg.Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Eli, uh, I know you have your uh, website, EliSunnyOrkiza.org. But are there other ways that people can reach you via social media? Yeah, I'm also on Instagram at The Orkiza. The Orkiza, that's right. Jeannie, can people reach you? Are you? Do you do the social media thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm on Instagram, too. Oh, so, okay. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah. So if you look at my for, website, you I think you had that up there. So. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, and also, I have your Wikipedia page. <laughs> Check that out as well. <laughs> I'm going to live that down. <laughs> hey, you're famous. <laughs> there you go. He was telling me about it. He said, Do you know your Wikipedia? I went, I just found that out maybe a couple of years ago. No one believed me that I never set it up myself. I don't know who's setting it up. So. Yeah. No, well, well it, it appears all accurate. So you don't yeah. have to worry about someone yeah. plagiarizing you or whatever. Anyway, it's a wonderful Saturday. Well, it's a little may rainy I, Saturday. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. We should probably plug Bay Area Playwrights. Oh, absolutely. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So the the 46th annual Bay Area Playwrights Foundation is going to be happening this year around April. It's the last half of April. So I think it's the 12th to 21st. Yes. And it features really, really incredible um, emerging playwrights Mm -hmm. um, that we're seeing from across the country. And they have compelling stories to, to share. So mm. I'm super, super yeah. excited for yeah. that. What, what theater company is, is hosting that or what organization is hosting it? That's a Playwrights Foundation. Oh, That's Playwrights Jessica. Foundation. Gotcha, Jessica, gotcha. yeah. Get, okay. You know, yeah. I'm writing it down right now. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, and you'll let me know like what the dates are in April. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we'll, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week, I have a special announcement concerning the Yay and Plethos. I'm not allowed to release that just yet, but it's going to be very exciting. <laughs> the Yay is growing. This is our eighth year, and we want to thank the wow. both of you. Uh, you know, when we have folks come on the Yay, it, it enriches us. You know, people are like, wow, I've listened to that. I listened to Eli, and I listened to Jeannie, and it was really, really cool. So thank you for thank you. helping us out. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better sign-off. And we are... Eight years you said that. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And we are out. <laughs>